you would now turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 34. Isaiah has been over and over again telling his people, the Jewish people, particularly the southern kingdom, we need to trust God. We need to trust God. God will save us. And keep in mind, the context of his time period is they're hearing saber rattling from Assyria. Eventually, they're going to hear it from Babylon. And Isaiah keeps saying, Messiah will save, but we have to trust him. And so, starting in verse 1, we covered the first five verses, but I'll read it again. And then we'll briefly go through it. It says, Come near, ye nations, to hear, and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world, and all the things that came, that come forth of it. Verse 2 of chapter 34. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all the armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of the carcasses and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. And all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falleth off the vine, and as the falling fig from the fig tree. And so actually what we'll do here is, these first four verses we already covered. The world or the earth is summoned. This is clearly an end times or, uh, proclamation that hasn't happened yet. In this, they're told to listen, to hearken, to hear. And then judgment is proclaimed. And this judgment is going to amount to all the armies being destroyed. And in the New Testament, particularly in Revelation, but in several other books, we, we see Christ's second coming. And when he comes the second time, he's going to rule and reign. But the first thing that happens is judgment is going to happen. And he's going to defeat all the armies of the world that have come up and they're preparing to just annihilate Israel. And we see it in our time. We see these prophecies not necessarily being fulfilled right this instant, but we see the stage being set. The pieces are being put into place where Israel one day is going to find all the nations around her and all the nations of the world are gathered up against her. And Christ is going to come and defeat those armies of the world. Even our country, which historically has been a staunch supporter of Israel, we hear rumblings through the political stuff where some people don't want to support Israel. Um, a personal comment about that. Um, you won't find this chapter and verse in Scripture, but... I honestly believe that the day that we turn our back on Israel, America will be ripe for God's judgment. I believe it's being held back because he's letting us right now be a shield somewhat to Israel. 
that's a personal speculation. You don't have to, that and a buck might get you a cup of coffee somewhere, but you know, you can't take money to the bank on that. That's not scriptural, that's just my understanding of events. The other thing is that there's going to be many people slain. And so we've covered those items, and we also covered the fact that the heavens are impacted. Um, The heavens are going to be rolled together as a scroll, and we see some of that in Revelation where the heavens are going to be shaken. And so much of what Isaiah is doing here is he's painting with kind of broad brushstrokes what God's plan for the future is. He's not giving us all the details that John does in the book of Revelation, but he's kind of given us the framework. This is where these things are going to be um, kind of put together and the details filled in. So that brings us to verse 5. In verse 5, actually verses 5 through 15... It talks about what else is going to happen. And it says, For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Edom. I'm using the name of the country, not the exact word that's in the King James. And upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness. And with the blood of lambs and goats and the fat of kidneys of rams... For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Bozrah, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. And the unicorns shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls. Their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust shall be made fat with fatness. For this, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned to pitch, and the dust thereof to brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch, and it shall not be quenched night or day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the cormorant and the bittern shall possess it, and the owl also, and the raven shall dwell in it, and he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. There shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all her princes shall be nothing. The thorns shall come up in her place, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof, and it shall be an habitation of Dragons and a court for owls. The wild beast of the desert shall also meet with the wild beast of the island. And the satire shall cry to his fellow and the screech owl also to the rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. And there shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. And so Isaiah very quickly in just a few short verses describes the desolation, but who does he focus on first in this passage? Edom. Edom. 
I don't know about you, but when I read that, I was like, why Edom? Anyone have any thoughts on why would God single out Edom? Let me help just a little bit. Who is Edom to start with? Esau's descendants. And was Esau and Jacob best of friends? Not exactly. Um, In fact, Esau was pretty angry at times with Jacob, later named Israel. What did Esau's descendants do concerning Israel? They killed the fatted calf and had a celebration, right? Okay, help me again, Lee. Say that one more time. I say the uh, Edomites rejoiced uh, when Israel was destroyed or whatever. Okay, I think Lee hit the nail right on the head. Anytime something bad would happen to Israel, he, Edom was partying. They were like celebrating that something bad happened. If God was going to do something with Israel, and the Edomites were involved, you could, you could take money to the bank that the Edomites were going to oppose it. They were going to get in the way of it. They were not going to be a part of it. And so the Edomites, in many ways, represent all the enemies of Israel. But they're singled out here, and they're the ones that God calls. But when it talks about the whole world and all the armies of the world, like we already covered in the first four verses, Edom is kind of wrapping all that up into a ball and saying, here they all are. The Edomites represent this. First thing I want you to notice is God's judgment comes down. It mentions God's sword coming down on Edom. When I read that, to me, that was a pretty scary thought. If you wanted God to have something come down on you, what would it be? His blessings. His blessings. Anything else? Okay, his forgiveness, his mercy, his protection, anything but his sword. I don't want his sword coming down on me. I want you to think about the Edomites. Think about these enemies that they represent. And God's saying, I'm going to come against you. Do the enemies of Israel hold a chance? Not at all. I mean, we see earthquakes, we see hurricanes. Florida, we see hurricanes. Okay. And those are just a fraction of God's power. And look at the damage that they did in Turkey. Look at the damage that they did in Florida. And we're fairly well prepared for most of them. There's no preparation. There's no, no defense against the sword of the Lord. And so God's sword is going to come against them. It mentions Bozrah. And just to give you some history that... I don't normally know, but had to look up. That was a chief city in Edom. And so that's the relationship there. And so he's continuing to focus on them. And verse 8, to me, verse 8 sums it up. 
Verse 8 tells us that God's vengeance and the recompense for Zion is what's happening here. And so if you were to summarize chapter 34 and 35, it would be God is going to avenge Zion and Zion will be restored. It's been basically trodden under for years and years and years and now the opposite is going to happen. Chapter 34 talks about all the armies and enemies of Israel and them being decimated. Chapter 35 talks about Israel becoming a blossoming, blossoming garden. And so there's a contrast. The enemies now are going to be the ones that their land is turned into a desert. They're going to be so thoroughly destroyed that their nobles, in verse 12, and princes aren't even going to exist. And when it's all said and done, who's going to occupy the land that they have right now? Okay, wild animals. And so their land is going to be turned into a desert and into a place where wild animals are. And Israel is going to be restored. Verses 16 and 17 are kind of interesting. Isaiah has made this proclamation. And in this proclamation, he then tells them in verse 16, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate, for my mouth hath commanded, and his spirit, it hath gathered them. He hath cast the lot for them, and his hand hath divided it unto to them by line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation shall they dwell therein. And so Isaiah, at the end of this first chapter that's contrasting the destruction of Israel's enemies with Zion being restored, he kind of gives them an assurance. What's the assurance that he gives them in these two verses? Okay. First of all, he tells them to seek out the book of the Lord. So in some ways, he's proclaiming that his book, Isaiah, that is given his name, is the book of God. Some call the book of Isaiah the Bible within the Bible because it contains so much about our Savior. And so he's telling them, look through the book. Look through the writing that God is putting on him. And we know from the New Testament, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. We also know that the prophets, they wrote these things under inspiration. This was not them just dreaming up these things. And so Isaiah says that. And then as Bill just said, none of it's going to fail. It's sure. He says here, not one of these shall fail. So everything Isaiah has been telling them and everything he's going to tell them, he's saying it's going to happen. It's going to happen first and foremost because God commanded it. This isn't the prophet saying 
God do this. This is God saying to the prophet, I'm going to do this. There's a big difference. And then the second thing is God's spirit is going to bring it to pass. And so God's word is sure. It's sure in not only the book of Isaiah, but it's sure throughout our canon of scripture, which goes from Genesis to Revelation. And God is the one saying it. And therefore, God is the one that has the power and is going to make sure that it comes to pass. Part of why I brought up during the prayer request the idea of looking at a verse of Scripture is because you know God will keep His Word. When He says that no one can come to the Son but that the Father draw Him, I think all he's waiting for is you and I to say, God, this is your promise. Would you please do this for this person? I don't think there's any lack on God's part. I think too often we just don't ask him. And so I'm encouraging us to do that. Here Isaiah is saying he's going to bring it to pass And so he brings that up, and then he gets us into chapter 35. And really, I think it would have been good if these were just kind of slammed together, but there's a chapter division. But let's look at chapter 35 real quick. We'll see if we can't hurry through it, because it's it's the contrast. It says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. Well, you notice that sounds a lot like the verse that we saw in the previous chapter, God's vengeance and his recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and the streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with weeds and rushes. And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, the fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and with everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a difference. You look at the enemies of Israel, 
And Isaiah describes a time when God will come and execute judgment and destroy their armies and their land will go from whatever condition it is right now to being desert. And Israel, and I don't know about you, but I've never been there. I'd love to be there. Israel, when you see pictures of it, it's always desert. But it won't be when Messiah comes. Talks about here the wilderness and the solitary place and the desert. All of those are going to bloom and blossom. And so here in Zion, when their Messiah comes back, they're going to see everything turn, I think, to about as pristine as it was when Eden was created. The only difference is sinful people will still be running around. And the saints of God that come back with Jesus are going to rule and reign with Him. So you're going to have people running around with glorified bodies and people running around with sinful, fleshly, normal bodies. And you're going to see, especially Israel, become just like the Garden of Eden. I personally believe that's what he's describing here. And so they're going to see their land blossom, but I think even what is next is probably even more spectacular. They're going to see the glory of God. You remember Moses when God asked him what he wanted, and he said, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. I think they're going to see their Messiah rule and reign He will be the fleshly, both human and God, but he'll have a body. But they're going to see his glory. And I think that's going to be spectacular. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. But it's got to be better than anything that we can imagine on this earth. And then secondly, they're going to see the excellency of God. And so, not only do they get to see their land transformed and become a blossoming, rich garden, but they get to see Messiah and His glory and His excellency. What is the condition of the people when this all happens? What's Israel going to be like? It's not a hard question. It is answered in the verses, so you don't have to guess. (laughs) Well, first of all, he says their hands are going to be weak. Okay? So, they're not going to be in a condition of coming to their Messiah because they conquered the enemies around them. They're going to be weak. What else does it say about them? Okay, I heard a couple of things. Fearful heart. Fearful heart, okay. So they're fearful, and there's one before that. Feeble. So their knees are shaken. They're feeble. Um, Some of us have had the joy of using walkers and canes and things, and and our, our fleshly bodies are a little feeble at times. 
that's the condition they're going to be in for the most part. And then they're fearful. And fearful is probably one of the most significant ones. With all the enemies coming up around them, they're fearful when their Messiah comes. And then verse 4, I mentioned as we read it, God's going to come with vengeance. His vengeance and recompense for Zion are going to happen there. I want you to notice some things about that. In that passage, the first thing it mentions is that they need to trust God because He's going to save them. And so God's going to be there, and He's going to be their God, and He will save them. Secondly, okay, Look at my notes there, and I'm not seeing the same thing. The blind are going to see. Now, Jesus, when he came the first time, healed some of the blind. But I think when he comes the second time, I think not only is the land going to be returned to what it was in Eden, but I think sickness is going to be dispelled, especially in Jerusalem and in in Israel. And then the deaf will hear. And then the lame are going to be healed. And then the dumb are going to sing. And the desert's going to have plenty of water. And so we see all of that happening in chapter 35. Next week, because I hear people getting restless out in the hallway and there's just no way to keep going, what we will do is we will pick up in chapter 35 with the highway. And so I'd like you to consider what the highway is and what it's about. And let's close with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask David Lott if he'll close us in prayer, please, sir. Father, this is, this is a great day in the house of God. You've been in our midst and we've been challenged. We've looked into the future and seen where we're going. We're going to be there. We're going to be examples of the redeemed of the Lord saying so. May the next hour be a profound hour of praise to God for people who have determined to stand up and say, I know Jesus. May our hearts burst within us because of what they will say this morning and what the word of God will be preached. Thank you for today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.